man dressed in black from head to toe. Thin build, sporting a bushy beard and acres of tattoos, riding a motorcycle, and sneaking around the city in the dead of night, wheat-pasting poster art onto buildings. That's Dustin. He has a real 21st century James Dean vibe. And it's partly because of his appearance and outward demeanor that I was so struck by one of his answers. Dustin shared with me his best experience in the class, winning the Pat Lintemann Design Award. This is a man who has spent 10 years touring the world as a rock star, standing in front of thousands of screaming, applauding fans. He and I have talked about his rock star days many times, but I've never heard Dustin speak about those times with the pride and self-confidence he had when he told me about what the design award meant to him. As you will hear, Dustin is dedicated to the act of pure creation. I really admire his commitment to that, to making art for art's sake, and anyone who doesn't like it can go to hell. The world needs more of that. Here's my interview with Dustin Hawthorne. So, Dustin, uh, if you could share with me, what was your professional slash educational background, either or both, before you enrolled in the fine furniture program? High school, 1994. Uh, in addition to driving school, which I got a class three license in uh, 2021, I think. But that's it. Yeah. Zero. Nothing. What kind of uh, trade... Uh, an artistic background did you have before fine furniture, even if it wasn't formal, formal education or a job? Uh, artistically, uh, I was a or I still am a musician, but I was played music professionally for uh, almost a decade. Um, I played in a band called Hot Hot Heat, and we I, when I was with the band, I released three records: um, two on a major label, Warner Brothers; one on an independent label called Sub Pop, and. Uh, with that band, uh, I toured the world, sold some records, um, just sort of, you know, went through the, the ringer, uh, if you would. Uh, so that would be what, that was my, like, I guess, f creative expression. Um, and then there, sorry, was that training? Is that what you asked? Yeah. I mean, trade or artistic background. Yeah. I had no trade, zero. I mean, like actually literally nothing except building a doghouse for my ex-girlfriend's dog that's about as far as i got and which you some point killed e e we, no i like that dog i killed my ex-girlfriend though so uh what <laughs> fuck what um how do you think your experience has been affected or is unique due to your musical background your professional musical background i guess <clears throat> how is what you're going through different than what i'm going through in the program because of your unique previous experience with art and music i think like i think it's made it like maybe a little more difficult for me in that uh i'm self-taught with music and like like even like any creative expression um i i, I just kind of throw shit at the wall until it sticks and find you know figure it out that way. Whereas with this, it's a, it, there's a hindrance, like, and I still do it. Like even with this capstone project, I'm like, I drew a production path and a calendar, but I'm not looking at that. And I probably won't look at it ever. I just kind of just, you know, do a bit of this, do a bit of that, see if it looks good, continue on. Um, and, 
I think like like as a musician, like when I toured like early before we became, you know, we had, like a crew, like a tour bus and like a tour manager, it was really like we were just out there and you just gotta fucking figure it out. Like the van breaks down. It's on you to figure out how to get it to the next town or whatever. And I think that's been helpful here because as I gain a little more confidence with the tooling and stuff, I find myself asking Sandra less and less because now I'm like, okay, well, she's doing whatever with, you know, she's got four people like pulling her in four different directions. It's like, well, I need to figure it out because I can either wait and waste an hour or I can just try to do it and see if I can arrive there. And it's getting more and more, I'm achieving it more and more now as I'm learned more with this class. So I think that's definitely helpful. Confidence, I guess, is is what I've gained. And that DIY spirit, like no one's going to help you. No one's going to do it for you. So it sounds like your history with music and, you know, improving music and carving your own path with music has been a little bit of a hindrance, but also very mm -hmm. much an asset to, to your yeah. progress through this program. Well, it's, yeah, in that, like the DIY, again, as I said, the DIY spirit really has been helpful uh, because I'm not afraid to try things because it's like, as I said, you know, if you're in the middle of like Nebraska and you, your van engine blew up, like nobody's going to help you. You got to figure out yourself. Like you are on your own. So that's definitely helped me with that for sure. Why did a professional musician and sometimes commercial driver <laughs> choose to enroll in the fine furniture program? Uh, well, my ex-girlfriend suggested it. Tried to write the exam, failed. Like miserably, miserably, like the, just not even like a question of how awful it was. It was terrible. And then I tried again after studying and failed again. And at that point, I'd split up with this woman. Um, but I was just like, you know what? I'm going to just fucking do this. I'm just going to try to do this just to prove that I can. And it involved going to night class in addition to working like 60 to 70 hours a week driving. And I just hungered down and just like, wanted to fucking prove to myself that I did it. And I did it. And I got in. And then I was like, oh, wait, I guess maybe I have to do this now. I mean, I don't have to. I can choose not to. But I was like... Well, I don't really know if I want to drive a truck for the rest of my life. I mean, it's fine, but it's not, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not what I think I was cut out to be doing. Um, and so, yeah, I, it, like in terms of the trades, it seemed like kind of the wisest choice because it's not, you know, it's still, there's creative creativity in it. And I definitely know that on a job site, I probably would not have a good time with the fucking jarheads that typically populate those places. Um, I would think correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think that your ex-girlfriend, like my ex-girlfriend and most people's ex-partners made a lot of suggestions about what you should do. Why did you listen to this particular suggestion? Uh, it was because it was like, for me, it was, I just got sober. We were in COVID and I was unemployed. Like I was working at a bar, so I had to stop working at a bar to get sober. And so I was like, just thinking of shit to do. And that's also why I got the license because I thought, okay, well, that's something that will at least, you know, afford me a job that will pay like not, you know, the greatest money, but it'd be enough to survive off of. Um, but I wanted to do something in addition to that, that wasn't, uh, you know, driving a truck and hauling around skids of produce. Um, but I think I listened to her because it, like, Going to the trades seemed like not a bad idea because trades people are really, you know, they really desperate for people. So uh, I looked again, I looked at the Camosun website and like, well, that seems to be the best fit for me. All right, I'll try it. You know, you know, what do I have to lose? Like write the assessment, get accepted and maybe go, maybe I won't. I don't know. This is personal. So obviously you don't answer it and mm -hmm. I'll, I can edit it out if mm -hmm. you want. 
how I don't know how to phrase this exactly. Just just say it. I'm, how how has previously not being sober and now being sober? Like what effect has, does that have, if any, on your views on the program, your progress through the program, your belief in yourself during the program? Mm -hmm. Because I think mm -hmm. your story of sobriety is is really interesting and mm -hmm. and, I, and from what I know, unique to this class. Mm -hmm. So what? Uh, how does that uniqueness about your history transfer to the last eight months of this program? I really feel like just, just like cut dry. Like I would not be able to do this if I was still drinking. Like I would just, I would have not gotten it together to even write the assessment to start. Um, and also with just being, you know, like addicted to alcohol, it's like you have to drink in order to not be sick. Right. So I wouldn't even be able to get into a car to come do this, let alone have the confidence to think that I could even do it or even focus. So that's really what, why I did this is, or why I'm able to do this is because I'm not drunk all the time. It's just, it's a really simple answer for me. When you decided on trades, why woodworking as opposed to electric, you know, pipe trades, uh, heavy mechanic, I mean, any number of things. Yeah. Um, again, it's, I just, it seemed like it would be the most creative endeavor. Like I thought I probably, or I was hoping that I'd fit in the best year. Do you think you fit in the best year? Like as, a, with, as opposed to if you had gone to yeah. electric or oh, mechanical? Yeah. Most certainly. I mean, I'm kind of a bit of a chameleon. I'm trying to find a way to, you know, people, I'm typically generally likable. So I think that I probably wouldn't have a problem. But I, I you know, out in the real world, I think it would, no, in fact, I know I would probably not like it. Like, you know, being on the job site, I'd be like, oh, these fucking racist, sexist assholes or whatever. And I, I wouldn't, I think I'd probably get jaded pretty quick too, which is something that I would want to avoid. Uh, speaking of pipe trades, mm -hmm. how do you feel about the pipe trades? Well, as you are aware, uh, it was the running joke. It is the running joke still. Uh, but I know for a fact. What's if the I, running joke? Well, if. Okay. So when I made up this sort of like this, I had this sort of like theory that if you do something bad, you go to Camosun jail. <laughs> but I hadn't I hadn't said what Camosun jail was. And then uh, our classmate, uh, Dan Rossi, decided that pipe trades was was Kamos in jail so we just got around with it because they think they're a bunch of idiots right which is not true i know for a fact if i tried to get into that class i would not fucking not even for a second like it would be difficult uh because that's just not how my brain works with stuff like that uh oh no so it went you become the janitor and then you go to pipe trades but and there was a whole list of things you had to do in order to like just bad things and i'm not gonna list them because a i can't remember most of them and b i don't really want it to be like <laughs> you know i don't want to, i don't want there to be a hard copy of this floating around <laughs> any evidence <laughs> what kind of friendships have you made in fine furniture uh I, you know i've made a lot of good friendships uh, i've met people that i would never ever have considered meeting um uh which is nice like you know, I am for the majority of my adult life, I've just spent time with people that are musicians or artists or creatives or whatever. So to be thrown into this has been really cool. Um, I mean, I know that I probably would have not be friends with Dan Rossi. Um, but you know, we've done pretty good and you as well. Like I, you know, it's just not, it just, I wouldn't occur to me to, to be friends with these, with you guys because of our like differences. Um, well, one thing, and let me know if you agree or disagree, but especially with you and I, mm -hmm. your background, my background, your hobbies, my hobbies, 
I don't know that we ever even would have crossed paths. No, but absolutely for this not. Program. Yeah, totally not. Well, that's what I mean. That's the thing. Like, I would have never crossed paths with anybody in here. Now I think about it. Um, so it's cool. You're just being thrust into something. You know, you have no idea what to expect. Or I didn't. It didn't even occur to me that it would happen when I sat in this class. I was just, you know, I was a little bit anxious in the beginning. I mean, I think most people were. Mm-hmm. Um, Seventeen strangers. You're like, I don't know what's going to come of this, but it's been good. It's been. Uh, it's taught me actually how to also tolerate people um a lot better which is important (laughs) not murdering people which i wouldn't do but i think you know what i'm talking about what's your best experience been in the class so far and best however you want to define best um winning that award can you uh tell us what what award you won yeah i won the pat lindeman i think i'm saying the name right uh award for design um i've never won an award in my life so really yeah I was nominated for two Junos, but I didn't win those. What's um, a Juno? It's like the Canadian Grammy. Okay. Um, so that was a really cool experience. And and I had no idea. Like I didn't, you know, when Santa was announcing what the awards were for, when she said my name, I actually, to be honest, I wasn't actually paying attention because I was like, there's no way I'm going to win this. So I didn't know who the award, I didn't know what it was. I had to ask somebody else, like, what was that award I won? Um, that must be pretty, feel pretty great to be in your forties and yeah. win an award for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's it definitely like my uh, the, the confidence that I've gained from this is this class has been like astronomical. Like I definitely feel it for sure. What part of the curriculum affected you the most? Any a reading, a skill, uh, uh, a project affected you in any way you choose to define it positively, negatively, uh, negatively, uh, like the like studying. I I, I just as you, I mean, I, I barely, for tests. yeah, I barely got through. Uh, I just, I thought, I mean, I, I, I had no idea, but as I, as we were getting into it, I was like, this is, I don't know if I'm going to make it like I'm trying and I, but I just can't. Um, and it's, I don't think I would say it was like super negative because I still managed to make it through. And Sandra was really good in that. She's like, you know, she didn't like outright say it, but she alluded to the fact that it's, okay like it's not you know you're, you're gonna be fine i mean she's obviously basing this on past experiences but she's like she even like you know went as far as telling me she's like in like an email i had an exchange with her just f- stating how i feel and now i'm a little worried and she said you know you don't need to worry about that it's often there's certain people and it's often creatives not like unlike yourself that may not get say the math problem right away it may take you three or four tries in a really roundabout way but you will arrive there eventually she's like you can't you can teach somebody how to use a thickness planner or like t- chisel technique, but you can't teach creativity. That's just something you're inherently born with. So I wouldn't, I really wouldn't worry about it. So that, that was frustrating, but it was also really like nice to have that sort of feedback too. What do form and function mean to you? And has our class changed how you define those concepts, how you feel about those concepts. I know we've talked about them before and mm. some people react really positively to that mm. distinction. Some people react really negatively. Uh, I, well, I, I had never even heard that term before, but I, uh, when I was looking at the questions earlier today, I was thinking about how like working uh, in, in fashion, um, like really specifically for the designer I was working for in the, in the store that we had, the brick and mortar, we would carry like just suits like just business suits which are very 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 uh functional they're very functional and then we would carry other brands like rick owens and like ma cross that was just straight up like form like these things are like art pieces effectively essentially so 
I did know about it. I just didn't know that, it, you know, then I thought it, it just didn't know. I wasn't aware of it being called form and function. Um, and to learn that actually was kind of cool because when I did the form and function bookend, I had a really good time with it because the, the function was functional and then the form was fucking insane. It's like, that's not going to hold any books up, but I didn't care because I knew it was supposed to be form and I got to run away with it. For the people listening who aren't in the program, can you just give us a quick little synopsis of what the form and function bookends were? Yeah, we so we had to design two bookends, a form bookend and a function bookend. And the function bookend was to be nothing more than just to function as something that holds books up. For instance... It didn't uh, have to be pretty. Nothing. Like one of our classmates got a piece of metal, bent it in half, and that was a bookend. And that was, actually, that was uh, a function bookend. And I think he got a good grade on it. Uh, and then uh, the form one was something that uh, was on the design side and more of the creative side. And it didn't necessarily, I mean, it had a whole books up, but it's like you want, she wanted the, the, it to be more of a creative endeavor. And that's why I excelled on that one because it was fun and it was weird. So this is a big question mm -hmm. uh, and address all the parts of it, none of the parts of it. How is the program? changed how you think about trade if it has mm -hmm. uh how you think about art and then you know my tendency to talk a lot about politics and the economy yeah has the program at all changed how you think about the economy the environment because in class we talk about mm -hmm. you know, the economy of making things the yeah. environmental impact of making things uh well i mean the economy is I, I don't know if it's good or bad. I really don't know the difference. When I, I'm still have money. I mean, you know, I'm not rich money stretch, but I've never been in dire straits. Uh, so to me, I guess the economy's fine. My portfolio never seems to really waver that much. Um, in terms of the environment, it, I, dude, it doesn't matter. We're fucked. Like it's like <laughs> 1.5 degrees. Is, we're gonna hit it in in like two or three Next years. Month. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you know, it's. There's no point in like recycling like little metal bits. Like go fucking light it on fire. It doesn't matter. Like it's not going to make a difference. Um, I hate to be that way, but I it just truly is like just go burn tires like for fun because people that fly jumbo jets for themselves like Elon Musk, they're the ones that are fucking things up. You know, Exxon is fucking things up. Like you taking the bus does not make a difference. Um, How about trade and art? How has the class affected your thinking about trade and art? Uh, well, it didn't really change so much trade because I always knew that trades were not a bad thing to get into um, if you wanted, you know, consistent, like decent paying work. Um, I don't know anything about pipe trades. I don't know anything about carpentry. Um, I know that they make a, a decent salary, but that's about it. Um, and then in terms of art, like it didn't change my opinion too much. It just kind of like opened my eyes to another form of art, like commodifying art. And it's like you, like, for instance, like when you sign a major label, you got to like, you're, it's a, it's a business. So you have to provide a product that's going to sell. And the major label wants to give you a producer that is known to make hit songs in order for you to sell records. So you have to compromise your art. And if, you wanted to make like or if you know wanted to make some really weird like esoteric like chair that's got one leg you're probably not going to sell it and make any money so you're you could do that as just like a passion project or you could make you know mm -hmm. like a mid-century modern i don't know like fucking danish something or another it's in order to you know like make money so you can pay your rent or your mortgage or whatever commodifying art is such a shitty thing it really is soul crushing 
and I'm glad that I don't have to do it anymore. Is it possible to not commodify art? Is it possible? Yeah. Let, let me rephrase. Of that. course. Is it possible to create art that's not just for yourself, that's also not commodified? Well, if you're not making it for yourself, you're who are you making it for? Because then you're you're going to be I, you may not be commodifying it, trying to make money, but like a creative expression for me is something that solely comes from inside and I make it and I don't give a fuck about anybody liking it. Like I went and did a wheat paste and now and I did a wheat paste last night. What's a wheat paste? Where I paste uh, posters up that I print here. Uh, this one was big. It was like th two of them, three by four. And he just used a mixture of water and gl uh, water and uh, flour. And he just pasted this. I pasted the side of this building <laughs> near, uh, near Phillips. And they're weird. And I don't care if anybody likes them. I like them and I think they're cool. So we, as you know, we did a research paper yeah. in the fall yeah. about, you know, a maker and I chose William Morris, mm -hmm. the 19th century British yeah. co-founder of arts and crafts, yeah. also a radical socialist. Yeah. He defines art as quote, the individual expression of the laborer through their labor and the pleasure workers take in the work, which expresses itself and is embodied in the work itself. Okay. How do you feel about that? Uh, sorry, say that again. I that fucking thing. So basically, <laughs> he says that art is the pleasure that people take in their work and how yeah. that is expressed through their work. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter what medium you choose. Yeah. A teacher yeah. is an artist yeah. if they are taking a great deal of pleasure in teaching. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with that because like if I if I'm working on music or doing something uh like you know like painting or something but like specifically music because that's what i'm the best at um i can get fall into like just this crazy like loop where i'm just playing the same thing over and over and over and over again or like you know i've recorded something and i'm just like tweaking something ever so slightly and it's just like a loop for like a half an hour and i just get so lost in it and i find that because you're enjoying it i'm just in and in the zone like i'm just like it's just that's like to be honest, that's like better than sex to me or drugs. Like, it's just like, this is just the craziest feeling. Like you just hit that one thing and it changes like something slightly and it, you know, just, it turns it into something completely different. I mean, you might, you probably won't even hear it, but for me, that's just like the euphoria. Like I love it so much. Can you try to describe that feeling a little more? Cause I think that's really interesting. Just like, it, it's a trance. Like, I don't know, like, like, uh, you just, you're just, I'm just locked. They're just like, just like I, I literally sit there with headphones on and I'm just eyes are closed and I'm just rocking back and forth listening to it. And it's just, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's like, it's like, fuck, like, I don't know when you're coming up on like MDMA or something like that. Or if you've ever fucked on MDMA, it's like, like, like almost like that, like uh, crazier than that. If you can picture that. Have you ever felt anything like that doing woodworking? No, <laughs> absolutely not. You think you ever will? No. Why not? Uh, I, I just don't. It's too like, it's too rigid. Whereas, like you know, when I was when I was describing that thing where you get into that like crazy trance and loop, like it can go anywhere; it doesn't matter. Like, but if you are turning something away, then you you know put the chisel or the fuck you call it in the wrong spot for one second, it's fucked. Like you can't. There's no in and out with that. Like it's either right or it's wrong. Or I mean, to an extent, but you can also break things really easily. Yeah. Can. Or have you been, or could you be, or could anybody be a fully realized artist in this world? Consumer-oriented, capitalists, need to make money, need to pay the rent. No matter how much you want to sit back and make art, 
you still, at the end of the day, need to feed yourself and, and put a roof over your head. Is uh, it possible to be a fully realized artist? In this uh, no, it's just commodifying art has fucked everything up. Um, I mean, you like for like for music, you can, but it's so far and few between. It's like winning the lottery. It's like you know, there's Taylor Swift, and there's like, I don't know, like you know, all those like really big artists. But then you have the you know the the indie artists or whatever, like I don't know, like say Arcade Fire or like you know, like the National, where they make a living off of it. But then you have all these other people that have bands and are trying to make it, and they're never going to. Like, there's just no way because capitalism has destroyed all that. Uh, so you can make art, absolutely, and people do it all the time, myself included. But if you expect to make a living off of it, you're you, you're fucked. Like you're not going to. There's just absolutely no way. What is the first non-musical piece of art you would make if you had no monetary or environmental concerns? And I don't mean just you know drawing something at home. Yeah, something that actually requires a significant amount of time and energy yeah. and investment. Yeah. It's not music. Uh, I would love to do something like Richard Serra. Like, who's Richard Serra? He's this art. He's a sculpture. He does most a lot of sculpture. He's got. Uh, he does like these like big like metal panels. Like, he's in the Toronto Air Pearson Airport. He's got one. I can't remember what it's called, but it's giant. It's like as big as this fucking workshop here, and it's tall. It's just like this curved metal. Um, and he does like you know like like paintings and stuff like that. But it's like just on a giant scale. Like, I would just love to just make like something like that like just black like a big brick of like something black and like you know hang it from like the ceiling like up in the corner but have it be like 40 feet long whatever why black a lot of your art is black that i've seen yeah uh, a lot of your clothing is black uh -huh. why black uh it's well i like the aesthetic um i mean that's pretty obvious uh but it's a throwback to like 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 coming up in like punk and hardcore like you know kids just wore black because it's kind of like it's intimidating and that just kind of stuck with me and then as i like i deviate from it periodically but typically i find myself coming back to it but like like working in the fashion world like all the stuff like the you know the like avant-garde fashion is black um and it, for a reason you put it on it's like whoa that's crazy looking you look like a witch so it's 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 off-putting i think also too it's like dark um and that's the sort of the i that's kind of what i want to want to put forth a little bit too so you sort of answered my follow-up question mm -hmm. which is do you want your art to be off-putting and intimidating 100 percent. why uh because i think it's challenging um like my chair that i'm making i want to i want to have it so people actually don't want to sit in it like i don't give a fuck about winning best chair I, i'd rather win worst chair but if i make a statement with it that's more important to me if I asked you to make something sacred, yeah. however you define sacred, what would you make? Sacred? I, I don't know an answer to that. I don't have anything sacred to me. <laughs> like, I, I can't, I don't know. I'm not religious. I'm not like It spiritual. doesn't have to be religious or spiritual. Like, for example, you know, if somebody was greatly attached to their dog and their dog was the most important thing in their life, okay, maybe they would make a portrait of their dog or a yeah. sculpture of their dog. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I, I, the, the most sacred thing to me is the fact that I was gifted creativity. Um, but I don't know how to like, I don't know how I'd make that into something. Um, it's been like single-handedly the best thing that's ever happened to me. I mean, obviously I'm born with it. Um, I nurtured it and I've developed it over the years, but that 
that would be the only thing I can think really. I mean, you know, material possessions, you can replace them and so I don't have a dog, a, like maybe a sculpture that's an ode to creativity. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, again, maybe like you were saying, what can I make without any sort of like environmental consequences like that? Like if I made something like on a grand scale, I'd be like, that's cool. And that's sacred to me because that's an expression of how I feel. If you had only three tools you could use for, for woodworking yep. for the rest of your life, mm -hmm. what would those three tools be and why? Table saw, jointer, and thickness planer. Why? Because that's the those things are what you use to get things square and cut everything down. Um, and then uh, it's they're also convenient and quick to use, and they're typically almost fail safe. Because I'm kind of a bit of a fucking two left handed guy here, <laughs> like fucking bag of left handed hammers situation. So if I can eliminate any sort of like element of like surprise or anything that might go wrong i would definitely get something that's going to help me with that what sense oh and they're also loud and destructive which i appreciate <laughs> and capable of taking off an arm yeah what sensual memory from the shop do you think will stay with you the longest are there a sight a smell a sound uh i think the one that i i one of them is the whistling sound that sounds like house of pain when you turn on the uh the the whatever the, the fan of the, the fan. Yeah, yeah that definitely that for sure uh and also uh the smell of the shop when i walk in the first thing in the morning just good you know it's quiet there's nobody here or maybe a couple of you something that are here it's there's that it feels like it's that things kind of settle a little, little bit so it's not like really dusty but you still get the smell that it's a wood shop i really like that a lot i was thinking about these questions this morning mm -hmm. and uh, that is my answer to that question as well. Yes. Smell yeah. first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. it's, to me, it smells, like you said, calm and peaceful. Yeah. But it also smells honest. Okay, yeah. It just yeah. smells like a total lack of artifice. Yeah. Lack of any sort of pretension. Yeah, yeah. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I've never we're... smelled anything that smells like a lack of pretension before. Interesting. Huh. Uh, last question. Mm-hmm. Knowing that Beth and Sandra will listen to this, tell us how you feel about our instructors. Uh, I think that, well, first and foremost, I think what I like about this program is that it is women running it or women, I'm female, I, I think, identifying people running it. Um, not that there's like any uh like sort of like male machismo in this class um i maybe in pastors or has been uh it just adds like an element that i really appreciate um for myself like specifically uh being bullied and like abused by my stepfather as a child like i hate toxic men um so and I, and then again there's none in this class thank god uh but it's nice to have that element like they just sort of add like a nice just like and I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound sexist, but like women have this, this way that it's just like, they're more calming, I guess, if you will. And it, it I feel more safe. I think actually is probably the best way to describe it because they're both really cool, safe, nice people. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, anything you want to share sort of an open-ended question, anything you want people to know about you, your work, your experience in fine furniture that we haven't touched on that I haven't asked you about? Uh, yeah, I, um, prior to this class, uh, I had explored, uh, as a creative, uh, photography, um, 
but in terms of like actual uh, visual art, I had zero. I took a collage class in the beginning of this semester, or beginning of this year, pardon me, in September. And that was really my introductory. And this class has really pushed me into it. And that is actually, I really thank Sandra for that. Because she really, I think, saw it in me early and just was like, you just do this, like, try this, try this, try this, try this with her encouragement. And it's really like opened a lot of like windows for me, uh, not windows, pardon me, but like just really opened up like a lot of creativity that I didn't know that I, or I knew that I had, but I wasn't sure how to express it. And it's been really great. Like having that resource to print those, like those uh, posters that I do to go we paste them has been incredible. And had I have not been like, oh, wait a minute, I actually can do creative things that aren't music with the help of Sandra pushing me in that direction, I would have definitely not done it. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Dustin. Yeah, man. Appreciate it.